go. We're getting a little quieter now. All right. Our uh, passage this morning comes from Judges chapter 14. Uh, Hear now the reading of God's word. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now go and get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relations, or among all our people, that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother, and he gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle, that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you in your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife went over to him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put your riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. And she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and struck down thirty men of the town, and took their spoil, and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companions, who had been his best men. This is the word of the Lord. Our hero this week is Samson. I think the book of Judges is like a small book of several different heroes in the life of Israel. And ultimately, for the people of God, they are also 
our heroes. I think telling stories about heroes has become something pretty significant in our culture, considering the amount of superhero movies that are made these days. I'm sure many of you have a favorite superhero, probably. Yeah, yup. Who's your favorite superhero? Who said that? I heard a yup. Who's your favorite superhero? Yeah, who's your favorite? Bucky. Bucky's a great superhero from Captain America. I have a favorite superhero, and he's a kind of a lesser-known superhero. I love Daredevil. He doesn't have a lot of great powers. He's not impenetrable to bullets. Fights with his hands. But I think the thing that makes Daredevil most interesting is that when he's done fighting crime, done saving the city of New York, because that's about all he does, he's really, again, he's not super powerful, he can't save the world. He goes to a priest, and he goes to confession, and he asks the question, is everything that I'm doing make me a good man? Am I a holy hero? The hero in Judges 14 is Samson. It's Samson Act 2. Samson is a man born of a barren woman, foretold by the angel of the Lord, under a Nazarite vow. And he's called to deliver the people from the hands of the Philistines. Unfortunately, I don't think Samson ever asks the question, am I a holy hero? So then I wonder, is there a holy hero in Israel? Is there a true and better deliverer in Israel? Let's look to Judges 14, Samson Act 2, that we may indeed find Israel's true hero, a holy hero. We have three scenes in Samson Act 2. We have Samson's head, Samson's hands, and Samson's heart. First one begins scene one, Samson's head. Is there a hero for our eyes? Samson Act 2 begins with Samson going down to Timnah. Now, you might think that going down to Timnah means he's going south. Actually, he's coming down out of the hill country. He's moving towards the coast. Timnah is about five miles away from where he lives, and it's very much part of the Philistine-controlled area. They control everything from the coast all the way up into Israel. The Philistines are a coastal people. Some suggest they even were seafaring people. Now, as he's coming down into Timnah, it's part of what's known as the Central Highlands, which would be significant to know that you know, it's a raised area, much like where the vineyards in Spain is or the vineyards in France which makes sense is why he goes to a vineyard later on. Now, as he's traveling down, I want you to think about, what does Samson look like? This is on some sheets that are in the room. You can draw Samson as I'm describing Samson here. Samson, because he's under a Nazarite vow, he's probably got long hair, since he's not allowed to have his hair cut his entire life. It means his hair would probably be really long by the time he was an old man. He's probably got a beard. Jews had very specific laws related to how they're allowed to shave. So he's got a beard. I got a beard, other men in the room have a beard, but his beard's probably probably pretty bushy. He wore a robe, probably made out of one type of fabric. Probably had two robes, actually, a robe and then an under robe. He's actually probably not particularly tall. Most archaeological evidence about the Jews at the time, they might have been at best five feet tall, which is shorter than me, which isn't saying much. I'm a respectable five eight. But he's probably only five feet tall, a few inches on either side. And unlike most depictions, Samson's probably not a jacked bodybuilder. He's not ripped like Bucky. There's no way. There's not enough food for Samson in that time to be 
that big. He doesn't have the modern equipment that we have to look like that. He doesn't have any extra medical sources to help him enlarge his muscles either. Samson's probably a pretty normal-looking dude. And this is significant. Because if we think Samson is something other than what he is, we will fail to see who the real hero of Judges 14 is, who the real hero in Israel is. We will fail to see the holy hero. So as Samson's on his way down to Timnah, he's making his way down, coming down out of the hill country. He's walking, and he sees a woman, and he's like, wow. (laughs) He is astonished. He wants her. He wants this woman to become his wife. So he goes to his mom and his dad, as is proper in Jewish custom, and he says, Mom, Dad, I have found a woman. Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. It's pretty weird for a son to be demanding of such a thing of his father. He might request, hey, Dad, found a woman I really like. Would you consider going and talking to her father, and maybe we could come to an accord by which we could be married? No, not Samson. Samson says, go and get her, Dad. He turns the entire family dynamic on its head. He says, Dad, she's right in my eyes. Go and get her. And they plead with him. They said, son, is there not a woman of your kin who is right for you, who is right in your eyes, but ultimately who is right in the Lord's eyes? Samson doesn't care. She's right. Go and get her. Is this not the prevailing problem in all of Israel? That everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes? And there's this guy who, like, we start the story off really well. We're like, this guy's stirred by the Spirit. He's born of a barren woman, much like Isaac. And he has a somewhat miraculous birth. Much like Jesus. Now the Jews at the time who were reading the story weren't really thinking about Jesus, but their fathers had had miraculous births. And they're like, man, this guy, he might be something. And then he goes and he does something like this. How is this guy going to be a holy hero who delivers us out of the hands of the Philistines? Is it even possible? Then at the very end of scene one in verse four, Sam's, the, the narrator pops out from behind the curtain. He wants to give us a little bit of what's going on. He says, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, that is Yahweh, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines at the time the Philistines ruled over Israel. The narrator's telling us who the real hero is, that in spite of Samson's infidelity, to his covenant Lord, that the covenant Lord is going to be faithful all the days of his life. Because Yahweh is the holy hero. Yahweh is the holy hero. Because even though Samson's breaking all the rules, God is going to remain faithful. And I think those of us in the room who have children or have been in relationships with other people, we have plenty of people we know that are saying, do this for it's right in my own eyes. Our kids will declare, give me that candy bar for it is right in my own eyes. And it's like, son, you haven't even had breakfast. Say it again, you, go to bed. <laughs> you need to eat some breakfast. The most important meal of the day. But the reality is, is I think that doing right in our own eyes is a much deeper problem than we'd like to believe. Children, how often do your parents tell you to do something and you're like, I don't want to do that. Talk to the hand. I want to do what's right in my own eyes. 
At least someone's honest. Thank you. Parents, how often do we skip things like Sabbath worship for travel sports because it is right in our own eyes? Husbands and wives, how much do we spurn one another because we don't like what our spouse does? They don't do what is right in our own eyes. Christian, how often do we do worship our way rather than the worship the Lord's way because it is right in our own eyes? You see, this just isn't Samson's problem. It's our problem, too. We need a holy hero. And thousands of years from now, once Samson has died, there will be a son who does what is right in the eyes of his father. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. When he's baptized, the Spirit descends upon him, and the Father declares, This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. He is the son who does what is right in his father's eyes. He fulfills the law and the prophets so that we might have his righteousness given to us. He is and does what is right in his father's eyes. And those of us who have received and rest upon Jesus alone for salvation, we too, by the nature of our union with Jesus, have been made right in our Father's eyes. As the ones who have received the better judge, the holy hero, do what is right in God's eyes. We've received the Holy Spirit. We've been made right with God. Let us be what we are. Let us be right in God's eyes, in our hearts, and in our actions. The narrator's statement that God is working behind the scenes concludes season one. And praise to the Lord that he is indeed acting. Because in Samson, act two, scene two, Samson's hand, Samson's life just proves to be even worse. He's more unholy. He's hardly a holy hero. And yet, God remains faithful. Samson, act two, Samson's hands. Is there a hero for our actions? There's a little bit of a time skip the beginning of Act 2. Samson and his parents are going down to Timnah. It seems his parents did not have a backbone to stand up to Samson's evil desires. Now they head to what are called the vineyards of Timnah. Like I said, that, that highland country that's a little bit elevated, but not quite hilly and rocky, perfect for making vineyards and wine. And then a young lion jumps out of the vineyards and comes after Samson, roaring at him. Now, we don't know where Samson's parents went. seems like they're separated somehow in the story. Now, you might have in your mind this lion's like an African lion. Huge, ferocious. I'm saying a lion ain't scary, period. But this lion is a little different. He's got a smaller mane. He's not quite as tall as an African lion. He might only be four and a half feet tall. And since it's a young lion, he might weigh 300 pounds. He's an Asiatic lion. Frankly, the dude's huge, especially when you're five feet tall and you probably look kind of average like I do. Because remember, Samson's not jacked. So Samson's got this lion coming after him. What's, what's he going to do? What's going to happen? And the narrator tells us that, Samson, or that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson. 
Don't let anybody ever tell you the Spirit was not active in the Old Testament. And it comes upon Samson, and he runs up to the lion, and he grabs the lion by the hind legs, and like a young goat, like a, a baby goat, he takes the, the lion, and he rips it in half. I don't think that there's a single person who is strong enough naturally on their own to commit that feat. I mean, we, we make shows of people ripping how many phone books they can rip in half, much less rip a lion in half. Go down to the zoo, look at a lion. I don't think you could do it. I don't think the strongest person that you know could do it. This is literally impossible for Samson to do apart from the Lord. Who's the real hero here? This is purely the Lord's doing. Remember, Samson's on his way to do something he ought not be doing. This is the Lord. So then he goes, after ripping this lion in half, he's just kind of like, okay, cool. Doesn't talk to nobody about it. I'd be telling everybody about it. I just ripped the lion in half. It's pretty freaking sweet. I'd be telling people about it. Samson doesn't say anything. So he goes, he finds the woman, and he again confirms, man, that woman's right in my own eyes. And this confirms further that Samson's heart is not with the Lord, that he's again doubling down on his interest in this Philistine woman. This is certainly the Lord's doing to make all of this out for the good of his people. Now in verse 8, there seems to be a little bit of a time skip. He's heading back to Timnah to get his wife. Seems his parents were able to come to an accord with the Philistines. Perhaps this marriage and intermarriage between the two might bring about some more peace between the people, which is exactly what the Lord is going for here. And he stops by the lion, and he's like, ooh, this dude's decayed, but check that out. It's got some honey in there. There's some bees that have formed a honeycomb inside the carcass of the lion. Now remember, Samson's a Nazarite. He's taken a vow to never touch a dead body. So what does Samson do? He walks right up to it and he sticks his hands in it. And he scoops the honey out. It's all over his hands. He probably looks like Winnie the Pooh. He's walking around and he's just eating it. Drink, tasting it, loving it. Chewing on the honeycomb. And then he goes to his parents and he says, check out this boon. Eat up. Enjoy. I brought you some honey. So Samson's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to be touching things that are unclean. This guy is not faithful to the Lord. And even worse, he's not even in his vow, he's not even, he's not even faithful to the Lord generally. Jews aren't supposed to be touching things that make them unclean. So even worse, he takes it and he consumes it. And then he walks up to his parents knowing good and well that this is bad for them. And he says, take and eat, for you will enjoy. Spreading uncleanliness throughout his entire household. The whole family is now unclean before the Lord. Church, when we do what is right in our own eyes, we are spreading our sinful infection onto other people. People will suffer because of our sin. The church can suffer because of our sin. Our families can suffer because of our sin. If I do what is right in my own, own eyes, there is a chance that I will destroy my family. That could happen. And that's a real thing. And we need to reckon with that. Because this man who's supposed to be delivering Israel is in a way destroying his family. Spreading impurity to them through his own actions. If I'm a young Jewish boy reading the story, I think, oh, 
Samson, a guy who ripped a lion in half, he will surely deliver us from the Philistines. And then he goes on and he does this. I can only imagine my spirit being crushed, thinking, who could really save us from the Philistines? Surprise, we have a holy hero, Jesus. And he comes and he makes things that are unclean, clean. He doesn't give people things that by that substance they might be made clean. But he touches the leper and the leper becomes clean. He has no fear of the uncleanliness coming onto him. Jesus' hands heal. They do not kill. They make the unclean clean. Even people walk up to him in a crowd and they touch his robe. And after bleeding for so many years, they cease to bleed. Jesus, the good and better judge, the holy hero, makes the unclean clean with the use of his hands. Now Jesus is also coming back one day. And what that means for us is that he's going to make all of creation and all of our residual sin go away. He's going to clean it all up. And even as well, he's going to come and as the good and better judge, he's going to judge the wicked and the unrepentant. Cleansing the earth and preparing a new place for us when he returns. Churches, those who have been cleansed by Jesus, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, let us use our hands to love our neighbors, to make the love of Christ known to one another and to the world, to participate in the Lord's mission to spread his kingdom throughout the world. Not use our hands to harm, to hurt our neighbor, and to sin in the sight of the Lord. Samson, again, is hardly living up to the quality of his birth, as foretold by the angel of the Lord. He's disrupted his entire family system. He's a terrible follower of Yahweh. He's broken his vow. Where else can we look but to the Lord? Unfortunately, the story doesn't get better. Samson's heart in scene three of Samson Act Two just becomes worse. And the question is, is do we have a hero for our heart? The final scene of Samson Act Two is a little bit of a double whammy. We see Samson again breaking his vow. Can the guy do anything right? But then we see his pride come to the fore. That this is a man who is all about himself. Samson's dad goes down to Timnah to prepare a seven-day wedding feast. It's pretty common for Jewish wedding celebrations. I don't know how we could have had a seven-day wedding. That would have been insane. Um, I was eager to get to Jamaica. Seven days would have been a long time. So as they're sitting there, they're partying. There's 30 men there. There's 30 Philistine men. The Philistine wife, her family. The Jewish presence is actually probably pretty small. And they, Samson decides, I'm going to tell some riddles. We're going to play some games. That's pretty common. They would have done that then. That's a normal exchange of fun. But Samson's there partying, reveling in the alcohol, breaking his Nazarite vow. And he comes up with this riddle, not really as an attempt to like make money. He doesn't want to gain a ton of wealth necessarily from the Philistines. But he's interested in pulling one over on them. He wants to look good. He wants to boost his ego. And so he comes up with this riddle that nobody in their right mind could have ever guessed. 
Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. If we didn't know the story up to this point, we'd probably be like, what are you talking about? How would I ever know the answer to that? That's akin to me saying, like, I got a riddle for you. What's in my back pocket? You don't know. How could you know? There's no way you would ever figure that out. And ultimately, this is about me trying to win, to pull one over on you. Not about an actual exchange of fun and having a good time at a party. Now, the wager to us does seem pretty light. Essentially, Samson wants the clothes off their back. There's 30 men there. They've got 30 linen robes underneath, and they have 30 dress robes on top. They're at a wedding. They look fly. And Samson's like, I want it. If I win, give me your clothes off your back. Now, if, if they'd have gone to war and they had conquered another nation, they would have taken the spoil of those clothings from those people's bodies and household. Because you didn't have a lot of clothes back then. They didn't have factories stitching together shirts for them and sending them out. He wanted the clothes off their back. He wanted to finesse them. And the Philistines at this party, they know that. They know that Samson's pulling one over on them. So they go to Samson's betrothed, and then they're like, look, you're a Philistine, we're Philistines. Did you really bring us here to make a fool of us? If you don't tell us what the answer to this is, we're going to burn your house down. We're going to burn your father's house down. We're going to ruin your life. We're going to take everything you have from you. So she comes to him, throws herself on the floor and says, Samson, if you really loved me, you would tell me the answer to this riddle. And Samson does something that I think is incredibly ironic. He, he steps back and he goes, woman, I haven't even told my parents the answer to this riddle. Why would I tell you? Suddenly he's so concerned about honoring his father and his mother. He's been so good at that up to this point. But eventually he tells her, and the answer is used against him. Spoiler alert, Samson does not learn his lesson. We see this very same thing happen to him later. So she goes, she tells him the answer on the last day of the wedding, and they come back and they say, Samson, we have the answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? So Samson's hoping to take the clothes off their back. Samson's one dude, and he's like, well, now I've got to give you my, my linen undergarments and my, my dress robe, and where am I going to get 30 dress robes from? Samson himself has been shamed. What is he to do? An interesting thing happens. The Spirit of the Lord again rushes upon Samson and takes him to Ashkelon. He comes down out of the coastal highlands, down into the coastal plains, some 25, 30 miles away. Ashkelon's right on the coast. Dude's traveling far to do this, but the, the Spirit of the Lord is leading him there. And he slays 30 Philistines, takes their clothes, takes them to the Philistines, and pays his debt. And Act 2 of Samson concludes with Samson angry, going home, with his betrothed being given to his best man. It's a terrible story. But again, what do we know from verse 4? That the Lord is seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. He's curling up anger within Samson to use Samson as, frankly, as a blunt instrument to bring about the Lord's redemption. We all face issues with pride. But there was a man who did not face an issue with pride. Jesus. Isaiah 11 testified that the Messiah would be one who was full of the Spirit. And then in Matthew 3 and 4, 
we see that the Spirit descends upon him and the Spirit leads him into the desert where he doesn't make trifling bets with Satan, but he duels with him. And he comes away the victor. Jesus defeats Satan as the Spirit-led man. And then we learn in the testimony in Acts 10 that Jesus did all that he did in Israel. His life, his death, his resurrection and ascension was all by the Spirit empowering him to be the holy hero of Israel. Jesus today is ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We confess this most Sundays here at our church. And as he promised in John 14, from that very position, he has poured his spirit out upon his people. If you're a believer here today, you have the Holy Spirit poured out upon you. And as spirit-empowered people, we bear love our neighbors, we share the gospel, we serve those in needs. We do not seek opportunity to boost our pride that ultimately leads to the death of others. We seek opportunities to engage people with the gospel that they too may have life. God God judged Israel and the Philistines with a very imperfect man because God is good and faithful even when we are not. And we will see this continue in the remaining chapter of Judges. Thankfully, for as bad as Samson is, as as holy as Samson is, we have a greater judge. We have a better judge. We have a holy hero, Jesus He is the bridegroom who comes to the wedding and is faithful. He does not break his vows. He does not play tricks. He serves, he dies, he rises, and he reigns over his people. Jesus handles his enemies in two ways. He pays for their sins, brings them into the family of God as sons and daughters, or they they fall in judgment. There's only two options. There is no third way. As the redeemed people of God, who have been delivered out of not not the hands of a physical enemy, but out of the hands of sin, death, and Satan, our true enemy. Let us be spirit-empowered people. Though imperfect, the Lord is using us as the means by which we will expand the kingdom throughout the city of Little Rock, shoot, throughout your neighborhood, throughout the city of Little Rock, throughout the state of Arkansas, throughout this world. Let us follow our holy hero, for he has been a holy hero unto us. Let us pray. Father, we do give thanks that indeed you have sent your son, Jesus, to be a holy hero. He does what is right in the sight of you. He does what is right in the law. He fulfills the law and the prophets. He is a holy hero. He does what is right with his hands by renewing the people. He touches us and he heals us. Even if we could reach out and touch his robe, we would be healed. And he does not have pride, but he is the son of man who came to serve, not to be served. Lord, as the most served people by the most high God, may we live as faithful, covenant people, following our holy hero, being the means, though imperfect, by which he reaches this lost world. We pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.